0: Good to see you here this evening. So glad that you are here to worship with us. Would you turn to Revelation 15? Revelation chapter 15. And as you have found it, look this way and we'll pray. All right. Some of you, most of you, let's pray. Gracious God, by your mercy and strength, we're here this evening to hear your word. And so as we come to it, may we open our hearts to receive it, and may by the work of the Holy Spirit we understand today, and oh God, may we live out our lives in the pursuit of glorifying you in everything we do. Help us to see you through your word, and help us to see that you are God, you are the Almighty God. And so may we praise you today. But in Christ's name I, I pray. Amen. Hasn't this political season been fun? And wouldn't you want to extend it another two months? You know, maybe they'll, it'll just go to a tie, and it'll go into January, Congress will, I guess it's January, gonna, Congress will, you know, decide, and, you know, you know, I've never been so desirous to see cat videos on Facebook <laughs> until the political season. One of those things, really? Just one more argument, Please. Um, But in truth, some of us might be feeling a bit discouraged or alternately angry, which is not good either, by the way. Um, And it may be, seemingly to you, there's never been quite such a time in history that's been so bad, when right seemed so wrong and wrong was exalted as right. Uh, You'd be wrong, though, by the way. There have been many worse. And the people of God have been tempted to think they've never had it so bad before as any other group who've loved God. And that's simply not true either. But I get where you're coming from. It's easy to despair. Or it's easy to get discouraged. And to kind of either throw up your hands or go into a rage or something like that, which is not some would say the answer is to disengage in life. Let's just, you know, let's drop out of life and just kind of close the door and walk away. Uh, find the cave and, you know, drill a well and there you go. Live off the land. Um, but do we close ourselves off and mourn or, or sit and sulk until Jesus comes? Is that the proper attitude? You know, Revelation gives us an insight. I, in my scripture reading this week, as I've been studying about God, I, I turned to this book, a book that carries with it the promise of, of those who read it, and, uh, but a book that is kind of uh, complicated in some ways. And then I came to chapter 15. And in fact, chapter 15 of, of Revelation, we have a, we're in the midst of a trauma, we might call it that, a great trauma. There's more trauma and upheaval coming. Uh, as we join John, the wrath of God, as, as John sees this and, and writes for us, the wrath of God is in, is in full display on the world. And so, uh, seven angels are gathered to carry out the last of the wrath of God, the, the plagues here. And John the Apostle is writing and describing what, uh, this, what God has allowed him to see. He's describing it for us. Um, and then you see that... There's a song here. Verse 1, "...then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like the sea of glass mixed with fire." And those who have been victorious over the beast and his image, and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And then he keeps on writing. And it was, as I read those verses, understanding what John is seeing by God's hand, I understood that there is a song that we are to be singing in the midst of trouble and trials. And yes in the midst of great trouble and trials, as we see in Revelation. See, so we often forget the song that God has given to us. This evening, I want to look at the song here. I just titled it The Song. I want to look at it in a lot of different ways and examine it and see what God has for us, because there is a song that we are to be singing in the midst of trial. Let's go to verse 3. And they sang the song of Moses. You know, they didn't just sing a, any particular song or any song in general. Let's just pick one. They sang this song of Moses. Now, this is pretty interesting. They're singing the song of Moses. And the, the, it is, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. And as, as I begin reading, I begin to see that they're praising God. We're going to unpack this a little bit in a second of who and what, what these people are. But they're praising God. And I looked a little later, and they're praising God for several different things, different aspects of who God is. So number one, I want us to understand, we praise God because all that He does is amazing. All that He does is amazing. You see, they sing a song of Moses. Now, if you look, there's not one but two songs that that really we think of the song of Moses, Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy 32. And as we look at those, we don't know exactly, maybe it's an amalgamation of this. Or maybe we're not understanding the song of Moses, maybe it's something greater than just exact words, but what Moses is doing. Let let me show you here in Exodus 15. Moses and the sons of Israel, I'm, I'm skipping a little bit here, sang a song to the Lord, and part of it is God is highly exalted, and the horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. Now look at verse 2. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Hmm, okay. Underline that. Highlight that. Hang on to that for a second. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 says, Rejoice, uh, verse 43. Rejoice, O nations, for His people, for He will avenge the blood of His servants and will render vengeance on His adversaries and will atone for His land and His people. The Song of Moses. See, what I believe John is writing is he's borrowing this theme of the Song of Moses. The Song of Moses is a Song of Exodus, remember? For many long years, they're laboring in Egypt. And so this song in Exodus 15 that Moses is singing is the song after they've come out of the other side. You remember the, the Red Sea parting? They're walking on dry land. It closes on the armies of Egypt. You remember prior to that to the plagues? And there are actually seven plagues we already mentioned, but the ten plagues of Exodus, of a God is, is trying to come to, you know, to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And God is patiently giving him opportunity. And he kept sending warning and judgment. And ten plagues later, So what kind of song is this? This is a song of exodus, but this is a song of deliverance. Now look at one thing. Let's go back to verse 2. Who is it that's singing this song? I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. I'm not going to attempt to try to interpret exactly what this is in the the heavenly scene here. But there are those who have been victorious over the beast and his image. Okay, these are people who are victorious. Victorious over the beast, these were the saints of God who did not bow there in this time, in the judgment time, they did not bow to the beast, nor did they take the number of the beast, and they are victorious, and they're standing on the sea of glass with harps in their hands, or not large harps, or small harps, okay? They're standing in the sea of glass with the harps in their hands, and they're praising God, and these are those that have died in the Lord and are victorious. Because of God's rescue and deliverance of them. So now it suddenly becomes a little different theme than just a song of a group of people standing on a sea of glass. These are people who have gone through the tribulation. These are people who have gone and have died and they are victorious. God has delivered them. They're singing the song of Moses. A song of deliverance. A song of salvation. A song of the atoning work of God. Because here, uh, it's a connective, even here the song of Moses, even the song of the Lamb. Now we come to the other part of their song as they're singing. The song of the Lamb, now what is that about? Do we find anywhere in the Gospels where Christ is singing a song? No, I don't remember that. Do we have any words? No exact verbatim. I mean, wouldn't you think the licensing on that? Um, How how would you work at the copyrights? Uh, Probably like you do the Bible, I assume. But we don't see that. But we do see the song of the Lamb is the song of the Lamb who is delivered, who is rescued, who has saved His people. So the added dimension of the song of deliverance of Exodus, of, uh, of Moses, the song of the Lamb, of this one who died and gave Himself. He poured out His blood in atonement for the sins of mankind, as Scripture tells us. This is the song they're singing. They're singing about this. So let's go back to our, our point. My point is, praise God, because all that He does is ema- amazing. All that He does is amazing. Have you ever thought about your salvation in terms that it's almost hard to believe that God has rescued you? He has rescued you. If you're a child of God, if you're a follower of, of Jesus, He has done an amazing work. He's done an amazing work to rescue you from the slavery, the bondage of your sin. And so now this one sings, these sing this song, and they say, great and marvelous are your works. O Lord God, the Almighty. They're singing a song to the great God. And He says, they are great. They're, they're huge. Political aspiration, uh, I mean, they tones. They're, they're great. They're marvelous. They're amazing. Are your works? O oh, Lord God, what does Lord denotate for us? The one, the ruler, the master of all. This God is ruler. He is master, but John writes uh, as they sing, they, they go one better. Okay? He's not only ruler, but he is the Almighty. He is the Almighty One. Not only he is ruler, he the, the sense is that this one has unlimited control over all of reality over time and space, this one is the absolute sovereign. This one is great and marvelous. More great and marvelous than his works. Because he is God. He is over all. And with the backdrop of the, the imagery of salvation, of deliverance. We have this song being sung. And the song of, of this vindication theme almost also mixed through it because these are the ones who, who stood and died and now they're vindicated because Christ has rescued them and they're now singing this song of deliverance. He is mighty. He is the Almighty. Oh, that we would be amazed at God. that we would be amazed at all that He does, and all that He is, and understand in our hearts and in our intellect that He is sovereign over all. It is easy to look at a picture, you look through Revelation, and you see see people rebelling against God. It's easy to look and say, does God not have control over this? Is He allowing this to spin out of control? But the absolute sovereign of the, of the universe has in His infinite wisdom allowed these things to occur. What was set in motion before the foundations of, of the earth was known that sin, salvation, deliverance, and He knew at one in this day that He would exalt Himself and those who had died for Him would be singing a song. The song of deliverance. It's easy for us to think, in our minds, that that deliverance is a good job, uh, a nice home, a car that doesn't break down every other day, you know, and, and four square meals or three. I like four. We we think, we think. Well, God, if God's sovereign, that's what He'll give me. And we're looking. Think about Hebrews eleven. The end of, part of that, and those who have gone through great, great trial, looking forward to that day, Christ, their faithfulness, God's faithfulness to them. What God does is amazing. Do not ever lose that grip. Because that leads into the second part of this is what God does is right. Praise God because all that he does is right. This song not only praises God for the amazing works that he does, but for the right things that he does. The righteous things. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord. God, the almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations, or king of the ages. Ages. And you look at this this song that they sing, you see that the righteous is, is just no more than the common, ordinary word that we associate with being legally and ethically right. Another way to think of it is fair and just. But His ways are righteous. They're fair, they're just, and they are true. They're consistent with the fact and the reality of His greatness and His goodness. They are true. They're trustworthy. So the paths that He brings us on, the ways that He brings us in our lives to, to encounter certain things, sometimes hardship, those things are right. And those things are true. This is our God. We are to praise Him because all that He does is right. And He, he emphasizes that by saying He's King of all, but really there, the word is nations has been supplied. The word is almost, he's king of everything. He is king of everything. You know, we think of a sovereign or a president as having a lot of power and that uh, um, controls our lives. I think that's why, in our election, we put so much stock into it and we, everything rises and falls on um, who gets in. And yes, I would love to have someone running who was right and just and pure maybe next time well we'll take what we can get but our our eternal security our our future does not rest upon a president or a king or a congress it's in Jesus Christ the king of the nations he is king And so we wonder, well, if God does all things right, why is it that, we've, that things seem like it's spinning out of control and we fret and we worry and we think God has lost control and the heart of our fear is this sin, it's the sin of unbelief. Okay? It is the sin of unbelief. And that and the sin of pride are two, you just kind of chalk it up as the two basic things in our lives. The sin of unbelief. We don't believe that God will do what he said he will do. We do not believe that God will do what he said he done, will do for us. Okay. In his righteousness and holiness, uh, yeah, we'll trust him for our eternal security, but maybe, not, I'm not sure about tomorrow. Okay. Um, God's sovereign. I'm really worried about fill in the blank. Hmm. You can't say in one place that God is sovereign, He's the sovereign of the universe, and then stress and fret and sin, which, oh, by the way, is a worry. Uh, worry is a sin. Flip those. Yeah. You know what I mean. And say we, and, and really, truly believe that God is the sovereign, the King of all the nations. But we can praise Him, for He does all things well. And right and true. Do we really believe that? Do we believe that he is right and true? Righteousness is a part of his character. We don't understand his timing. We wrestle with this. But we can rest assured in his righteousness and his truth. We can rest assured that he sees all. Take you back again to Egypt children of Israel, there and Joseph. Things turned out pretty good for a while. And then there arose a king who knew not Joseph. Yeah, they took a turn for the worse. And in righteousness and truth and justice, God allows Pharaoh the opportunity to turn to to free his people. And then Pharaoh hardened his heart and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Peter. Why isn't the Lord coming back? His patience. Not willing that any any should perish, but all to come. Repentance to righteousness. And so he tarries. He holds on. And sometimes that causes angst for us, doesn't it? I want God to fix it and fix it now. We have to come to the point where our vindication may not come until we're singing the throne of God in heaven. But never, never, never sway from the understanding that God is righteous and true, and all that he does is also. Thirdly, praise God because he is worthy. He is worthy. The God who is righteous in judgment, who is true in patience, who all of His ways is right. It only goes to show that He is worthy of our praise. As we wait on Him, we continue to praise Him. John gives us the song in verse 4, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify Your name? And you say, well, but John, I know some people who don't. He's writing from a perspective, a heavenly perspective. He's seeing this, and in his mind, he's saying, "So, after, when everyone sees this, who will it be?" And the answer is, no one. Everyone will fear, will reverence. They may be fearing and reverencing from a place that they will spend eternity in suffering and torment. But they will reverence why? Because God is holy. He is set apart. He is set apart. There is no other God but Him. We've spoken of, uh, to be a a Christian that is growing, we we grow in holiness. Set-apartness unto His service. The God who is set-apart calls for us to come out and to be set-apart so that He may use us. And so we are holy of life. We are Christ-like in that. And every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All the nations will come and worship before Him. The ones who want to, the ones who don't. The ones who never knew Him or never claimed to know Him or ran from Him, they will. They will come and worship. They will bow down. They will fall down before this great God of gods. They will fall down and worship this one who is almighty for your righteous acts have been revealed. You see, every one of us on earth, living or dead, will come and at this point as God reveals Himself in the end times, they will see the righteous works that God has done. They will see the acts that He has, and they have, will have no other, no other reaction, no other response but to bow down and worship. For some, it will be eternally too late. For those who know Christ, it will be an ongoing worship of God in heaven. The joy overflowing of a righteous God extending righteousness to us, and so now we have a home in heaven. All the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. You know, once what, what once was hidden will be revealed. And beautifully, judgment is juxtaposed with salvation. There is no one like our God. We think of God as imminent, close by, but He is transcendent. His judgment abides perfectly with His grace and mercy. His justice with His holiness, with His love. And we will see them revealed in all of His acts. We have the opportunity to see them revealed each day, don't we? We see the work of God as He does a work in our hearts, He does a work in others' hearts, as we see Him answer prayer, as we see His work in the world be advanced, as we see the gospel overtake worlds. Some of the reports that we're hearing from Muslim countries, I've mentioned before, and even in Israel, of souls coming to Christ. This is righteous acts being revealed. It's part of this. And so we have a song. A song for the day of calamity. So I wonder, if I had this song, why do I worry about a nation's political future? Instead, I should be living holy lives, peaceable lives, Lives that exemplify Jesus Christ and be on a mission for the gospel to change hearts and lives and not politicians. Because one day we will sing a song similar to this one. We'll sing to a holy God. We'll sing to a righteous God. We will sing to one who has rescued us. And we will sing the song of deliverance around the throne of God but we can sing a chorus of that song today see what is incredibly attractive to those who have no hope is for those who follow Christ to exemplify the hope that is within them to be yes ready to give a reason for that hope but from that hope to be pouring forth love and grace and mercy. See, our answer to the politics is not to get upset and angry. Our answer to any calamity or trial in life is not to get upset and angry, to fret, and to blame God. That is not the answer. The answer is to see that one day I will, through these circumstances, be able to stand with those who have passed, and even maybe us, passed through great trials, who may have been offered up for the cause of Christ, I can stand and sing the only thing that matters, a song about Jesus, a song of His deliverance, of His atoning work on the cross, of His salvation for us, and that is the song that we sing. And that is the song that is more attractive than any other song. The song of deliverance. We have a few, a few, a shoe for it. A, a, shoe, a short few weeks. Should have had more coffee, I think. A shoe, I'm to do it again. <laughs> it ain't gonna be long, okay? <laughs> Until election will be done and there'll be something else. Okay, before the election, before whatever's bothering you now, was there not something else bothering you before then? Something to keep you up late at night? You're worried about this? Yeah. If we place our faith in this righteous one, if we believe that Christ is who He said He is, we will sing, we will bow, and we will reverence Him instead of fearing what comes our way. So, together, let's sing the song of deliverance. Let's sing the song, as the hymn writer said, the song of a soul set free. Let's glory in the great and mighty works of our God. Let's bow down before him and worship him while we have breath, and then in eternity we'll worship continually and praise him. He is great. He is mighty. He is the great king almighty. Gracious God. Father, your word has encouraged my heart today. As I studied this passage, you convicted and you encouraged. And so I pray that you would do so for those who hear your word today. That we would surrender control over our destiny of our reality, of what we think it is, and that we would bow to the God, the King of the universe, the one who rules in righteousness and truth. Oh God, help us not to fear. Help us to confess the sin of unbelief. And may we sing. May we sing. May we sing the song of Redemption of deliverance, of salvation, a song of our Savior. God, thank you that you are in control. Thank you that we have rest in you. In Christ, name I pray, amen.